0: We're doing this sermon series on the book of Proverbs. You guys heard about the book of Proverbs? It's got all this wisdom in it. It really is a book about wisdom, the values of wisdom. And then a manner of teaching, of conveying wisdom uh, that we call Proverbs or proverbial uh, wisdom. Proverbs are pithy little sayings. Nuggets of wisdom condensed down to sayings uh, that you can remember, that you can uh, pass on. Uh, last week, uh, Jeannie preached. Yeah, and uh, I, I heard that was okay. Um, the way I hear, the way I heard it was okay, is that people said, "Oh, stay away another week." Um, uh, the week before that, we began our sermon series in Proverbs, and I gave you a homework assignment. Do you remember what it was? Come up with your own proverb. I, I, I encourage you to write a proverb uh, during uh, the intervening two weeks. So who wrote, how many of you managed to write a proverb? About 8% of you. Uh, so uh, thank you. How many of you tried? All right. That was not a very successful homework assignment, it seems to me. It, uh, if you had at least tried, then we could discuss how hard it is to to write proverbs, um, to uh, to boil down life lessons into sort of a a, a phrase, uh, a single nugget. It is it is hard, uh, but I recommend it because that's how I learn. Who who wrote proverbs again? came up. Who, wa- who wants to share their proverb? Okay. Just, what is it, just let her rip. Radiate whose you are. Radiate whose you are. Mindy. You should be ministering to everyone around you but very selective in who you disciple. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. So this this is a seasoned minister. So you should be ministering to everybody around you, but be selective in who you disciple, who you choose to develop as a a minister. Oh, there's some wisdom in that. Okay, who else? Yep, Mike. In in your life and in your job, seek uh, influence rather than authority. Oh, brilliant. There. do you catch that? In your life and in your job, seek influence rather than authority. You can unpack that and meditate on it. That's, that's very good. I think I understand it. You want positional authority. You want true influence. You want to be changeful. Brilliant. A couple more. Yeah, Khali. God owns all things and therefore can redeem all things. God owns all things, therefore can redeem all things. Very cool. Very cool. All right, who else? Brenda. So, so far the, guy, the, the gals have outnumbered the guys five to one, which just shows that women are smarter. Amen, no. <laughs> Deep and lasting relationships are like ice cream for the soul. <laughs> Deep and lasting relationships are like ice cream for the soul. So you get a little wisdom and also a little personal disclosure there. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, come on. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Good. Yeah. Oh, we got two. ra up here because the men in Blue Water Mission are just overflowing with wisdom and, not, and not, just, not just the loud howly guys either. Don't stand in front of the thing. Come over here in the middle. The only thing holding you back from God is choice. The only thing holding you back from God is choice. Yes. Inflexibility results in fracture. Inflexibility results in fracture. He's a doctor. He knows. He knows these things. Come on. One more. I want, uh, I want Angie. Okay. This is based on John 1, 7, and it's... Um, Truth was always meant to be given hand in hand with grace Truth is always meant to be given hand in hand with grace that's that's brilliant don't try to speak truth to someone unless you've established grace right lovely huh I'm just going to bask in the glow of that wisdom for a while all right thanks for coming it's enough wisdom for one day um, i uh you know one of one of our uh, One of our proverbs at Blue Water is that leaders always have to go first. So if as a leader you ask someone to do something, then you have to do it uh, as well. You have to go first. So here's some some proverbs I wrote during the intervening two weeks. Um, I I was reading uh, some military history. So this is sort of spawned from that. A warrior who won't farm is pointless, and a farmer who won't fight is worthless. You know what I mean by that? No clue whatsoever. Um, There there are a lot of uh, people who fancy themselves uh, in the drama of being a warrior, but they don't have the patience or the fortitude or the humility to farm to produce sustenance for people. And so it's about you know protecting people and developing sustenance. It made sense to me. Oh, and just uh, a simple one: Uh, repentance leads to revival. Um, I read a lot of revival history, church history, and revivals always seem to start with mass repentance. It's, it's the trigger or the first symptom. Repentance leads to revival. Both of those are cool words. Revival means to live again, and repentance literally means to think in a new way or to change your mind. So you could say, if you want a new life, you have to think in a new way, which I think is also true. Our first uh, sermon on Proverbs uh, was about... Uh, It's about the value of learning. The book of Proverbs opens up with all of these reflections about how valuable wisdom is and all of these encouragements, these, these commands to go and get wisdom. It's a very simple directive, get wisdom. It's really valuable, and the first thing you need to know about the life of wisdom is that you should go out and get it. You might think that desire should shape your life or that security needs should shape your life, but really, the book of Proverbs says, wisdom should shape your life. And you should get wisdom at all costs. That's the thesis statement for the book of wisdom, uh, uh, book of Proverbs. Uh, you might ask, but what is wisdom? Well, wisdom uh, is, wisdom is, is truisms about how to live. At least as it's sort of presented in the book of Proverbs. It's really, really, really practical stuff. If you want to know how to live, then get wisdom. Understand the ways things work. Wisdom is usually expressed in truisms rather than truths. You know, the truth being there is a God, uh, but uh, a truism uh, being uh, the only thing separating you from God is choice. You know, which is is true enough to be really, really valuable to be really wise and to help you navigate life. So wisdom is that practical knowledge, uh, not necessarily black and white knowledge, but really good, um, nurturing, nutritious knowledge, nonetheless. nonetheless. Practical guidelines, rules of thumb for how to live, but very powerful ones. And the way to get wisdom is to value it, to go after it. Uh, You don't get wisdom accidentally, according to the book of Proverbs. You actually have to value it. Wise people go get wisdom. Fools don't value it and therefore don't have it. Uh, The book of Proverbs teaches that if you are a foolish person, it's not because you're stupid. It's because you just don't value wisdom. You've made a choice not to go get it. You might not fight against it, you might not say wisdom is bad, but you just lack the drive to go get it. You know, an analogy would be, if you are physically unfit, it's not because you think physical fitness is a bad thing, you've just not pursued fitness, right, more or less. Um, And that's how wisdom works as well, life fitness, you might think. Fools don't argue against wisdom. They, just, uh, they don't fail to understand it properly. They just make a choice that is not important, usually an implicit choice. You know, they don't reason it out. They just live as though wisdom is not very important. Uh, so when pressured in a stressful moment, a foolish person uh, will usually say something like, eh, Don't tell me what to do they'll have an emotional response rather than a reasoned analysis about what is wise and what is not wise. That's a foolish habit, according to Proverbs. They overrule wisdom with poorly controlled emotion. A fool, folly, is what Proverbs call that. All right, so that was sort of the introduction uh, to uh, the book of Proverbs, and it might leave you with with this question. All right, so we're going to go get wisdom. We're going to set out to learn where should you start? Where should you start? You're going to go hunting wisdom. You're going to start building wisdom in your life. Where should you start? Where should you go? And I think uh, here's an answer. Uh, Go to the wisest of the wise. Go to God. How many think that that's a good piece of advice? Uh, If there is a God, I imagine he is very smart. Uh, So if you are a person who pursues God, and uh, follows him by faith, uh, you would go to him uh, for wisdom. And as we read in our first sermon, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, respect God, respect what he says, and that will get the ball rolling for you. Um, because in respecting him, we respect what God teaches. And, and like I said, God is pretty smart about life and the universe and stuff like that. Amen? Not complicated. Not complicated. A person is wise to respect God because God knows what He's talking about. Uh, but beyond this, uh, I, would, I would argue, and I think the book of Proverbs suggests, that the first step to education in wisdom, the first step to any sort of education, actually, is moral education. And that will be our topic for today. Moral education, by which I mean schooling in right and wrong. The first lesson that we learn on our path to wisdom is the difference between good and evil. There is such a thing as good, and there is such a thing as evil. There is such a thing as righteousness, rightness, and there is such a thing as sin. Lesson number one. And if you don't uh, learn that lesson, then all other lessons will be ineffectual you. Um, if you don't accept concepts of good and evil, for instance, if you don't accept that some things are better and other things are harmful, then you will never be wise, you will never know how to navigate life well, and you will never n- even know what has gone wrong in life. That's what uh, the book of Proverbs says in the opening nine chapters or so. You will be uh, what the book calls a fool Uh, Secondly, uh, uh, comes schooling in in discerning basic good and basic evils. In other words, there is such a thing as good, there is such a thing as evil. All right, now let's categorize, shall we? This is good. This is evil. That's the beginning of the life of wisdom for all of us. We see that uh, instinctively, I think, in child-rearing. You know, what's the first lesson you give kids? The first lesson you give kids is no. Good. (laughs) Right? And if they don't learn to respect that, they're going to be very hard to teach at all. They have to trust that first. And then once they've bought that, once they understand the categories of no, bad, yes, good, then you can start to categorize, you know. Bedtime at 8 o'clock. Good, good. Playing near the electrical socket. Bad. Bad. Right? Everything starts to fall in there. Um, in the opening of, of the book of Proverbs is about how important it is to get wisdom, and like I say, chapters five through nine are basically about moral education. And what it argues uh, is that if you buy the new moral education, if you start that way, if you build a foundation of discerning good and evil, then and only then can you progress to... The variety of proverbial wisdom that makes up the bulk of the book. You understanding me so far? You following? First lesson, get wisdom, a foundational lesson, if there's a difference between good and evil, you should appreciate it. There is such a thing as morality. Immediately after extolling, celebrating the importance of pursuing wisdom, the book shifts into uh, long tracks on what you would probably call moral education. Chapter 5, most of chapter 6, and chapter 7 are all about avoiding adultery and adulteresses. Be read it? How many of you read it? It's a little bit male-centric, right? Because it says, um, you know, the adulteress is dangerous and should be uh, avoided. Pardon the male centricity in in that day and age. Only males would have Read it. Only males would have been educated. We've come a long way socially since then. But I think without too much imagination, we can see the opposite applies as well. You know, it's not just adulteresses, it's adulterers. And uh, these people who try to tempt you to do evil uh, are people to uh, avoid. Let's just uh, take a sampling of some of these verses now. Just reading from the beginning of chapter 5. My son, Pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion. Discretion is that quality from whence we we tell one thing from the other. Discretion is the ability to tell good from evil. You may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip with honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as gall. Sharp as a double-edged sword, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Well, that's, that's a good lesson. A haunting one. And that's the language that it continues to, to, to use. Uh, reading from uh, chapter 5, 11 through 14. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent and you will say, how I hated discipline. My heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole company. That's what happens to you if you don't discern good from evil. Proverbs is telling us in this sort of poetic drama that it is unfolding. And then verses 22 and 23 the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. And the book begins to paint this picture like, you know, if, if you lack discernment, if, if you reject this idea that evil is very, very bad, uh, it will kill you. It will kill you. And, and you will realize at some uh, belated point that it's really lack of discipline. You know, you just, you just never bought into it. It's not that you were stupid. It's not that you were incapable of bad choices. It's just that, uh, you know, you rejected this idea that good is good and evil is evil. A portion of chapter 6 um, is about uh, adultery. Another portion is about Avoiding folly or warnings uh, against folly. Um, we won't go through that. But again, folly is characterized not as intellectual stupidity, but sort of moral cowardice. Just, just rejecting basic lessons on good and evil. Uh, it's not that stupid leads to bad choices. It's that bad choices lead to stupid. If you refuse to avoid evil, you will eventually go insane. It will really make you dumb in the end, and you won't even know what's wrong. Uh, Chapters 8 and 9 are, are again, mostly this poetic drama showing the call of wisdom versus the call of folly. I will read from chapter 9, verses uh, 13 through 18. Again, you'll pardon the male centricity as the author continues to riff on this idea of adultery and adulteresses. The woman, folly, is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know... That the dead are there, that her, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Just very dramatic stuff, you know, uh, as we begin our school of wisdom in, in the book of Proverbs, uh, we could summarize by saying, lesson number one in the school of wisdom: Be a good boy or a good girl. Lesson number one, that's it. Don't give in to temptation. Avoid evil and thereby avoid harm. Lesson ended. What do you think? To me, that sounds like a very simple lesson. I mean, it's not all that sophisticated, right? Uh, Doesn't necessarily seem all that powerful. Avoid doing evil. But I think it's the primary lesson of life. It's the primary lesson of life on this planet, uh, anyway. Uh, If you want to be wise, if you want to navigate life well, you've got to be a good person. You have to avoid doing bad things, evil things. You have to resist temptation. Even if it calls out to you, hey, it's not that bad, avoid it. Um, If you can't be good, if you can't behave yourself, you'll never be wise. You'll never know what's going on. You'll never know what to do next in life. You'll always be confused, running into dead ends, confounding, causing destruction and not being able to figure out why you cause destruction. That all comes from an unwillingness to be good and, and a willingness to give in to uh, temptation. Um, your sinfulness will make you stupid. That's how it works in, in, in this life um, And the way that works, I think, is if if you won't avoid evil, if if you won't really develop your willfulness against temptation, uh, then your weak will is always going to twist your thinking in a way that will cause you to do stupid things. And we've all seen this, right? We've all seen perfectly intelligent people do seemingly crazy things, make atrociously bad choices, throw away great chunks of their lives by giving in to some shallow fleshly temptation, you know, just moments of fleshly gratification or something like that. Perfectly intelligent people that just do the dumbest things when they give in to temptation. And you might think to yourself, that, that That person was too smart to do that. They were smart, but they were not wise. They had not developed their moral capacity. And immorality will trump IQ every time. Every time. And it will make smart people act dumb. And then once they start acting dumb, they will start speaking dumb. Right? Which is what it says at the beginning. May your lips always preserve wisdom. The book says, you know, they, they will start developing philosophies and mindsets to justify their twisted behavior, and then they'll just start sounding fractured. Right? Sometimes these episodes make headlines, right? Somebody had everything to live for, had a great life, everything was going super well. Maybe they're, I don't know, maybe they work in Washington, let's say. And, uh, and they just throw it all away for just, just the, the dumbest sinful distraction. And then get sensationalized or get headlines. Oh, how could this happen? How could this happen? Well, because they didn't develop their moral capacity, just their ability to shun evil. Um, I remember um, just distinctly Reading through these chapters in the book of Proverbs uh, when I was a kid, I remember being haunted by them and their dramatic language. And, and I really believe that they got into me in a very influential way. Um, I was sort of flipping through these chapters in preparation uh, for this week's sermon. And, and, and I, I would occasionally read a verse and I would have sort of like a flashback to when I read it you know, lying in bed when I was nine years old. I remember this verse uh, in in particular from chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. That's not subtle, right? You know, but if if you're just a little lazy... Your life will be ruined! How many agree that's just a little over dramatic? A little over dramatic, right? But it's meant to be. It is meant to be scary. I think in particular it's meant to be scary to someone who's young, who's sort of starting out on their life journey and their moral journey it puts the fear of God in you. And more specifically, in this case, it puts the fear of evil in you. And if the fear of evil, you know, like by which I mean not respect for evil, but, you know, a concern about doing evil, if that gets in you, it really solidifies you in a nice way. And if we miss that step, woe to us. Life gets very dicey at that point. And the instructors who passed down uh, this book and these Proverbs to us, uh, they had had figured that out. They had figured that out. Teach a child the way that that he or she should go and they will not depart from it. Scare them early. And and we do that often as kids, you know. Your little girl runs out into the street. You do not reason with the two-year-old, the three-year-old, do you? What do you do? You scare them. You know, if you run into the street, I will spank you. If you run into the street, daddy will get very mad. And so, you know, she learns to respect daddy. She learns to fear transgression, even if she doesn't understand what's meant by traffic on the street quite yet. It, it, it's the beginning. You start to trust your instruction to respect what God says, which is where, uh, where the book I- is going. Anyway, those verses certainly... Haunted me um, they were they were effective, and I think that I think I think it totally shaped my my work ethic um, uh, proverbs uh, nine you know thirteen through eighteen which which we read earlier um, equally scary I think um, let all who are simple come in here uh, folly says to those who lack judgment stolen water is sweet food eat, eating eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know that the dead are there in that house, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. I mean, that's right out of Stephen King. It is a very base, very visceral scare tactic and an absolutely vital way to start uh, a moral education. I mean, when I was nine years old, uh, reading these verses, studying them for the first time. I, I actually was not much tempted by adultery in those days. Uh, but I remember reflect I distinctly remember reflecting on these verses in my teen years. Uh, and, and there was already some fear uh, in, in me. Uh, you know, what, what, what I gleaned from those verses were, there are people out there who are morally reckless. And those people will destroy you if you follow their lead, um, do not throw in with them. You know, and that had gotten into me. Evil scared me when I was a teenager. That was really helpful, I think. Um, this this is about fearing evil. You know, pursuing wisdom, but fearing evil. It's got it's got to start there, like it starts there for every child. Uh, fear is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of evil, the beginning of moral education. Um, without it, you're in for a, a, a rough ride. Now today, um, you know, I've, I've grown up a, a little bit. And uh, in some manner of speaking, I'm not afraid of evil in exactly the same way in that my reactions to evil are not as simplistic as they once were. In high school, I was afraid of evil in a way that that made me not go to those parties. You know, those parties? We all know those parties in high school, right? Seriously? You don't know what those parties are? Come on, give me an amen. Give me something here. It's like, no, I was so naive, I didn't even know there were parties. That's how good I am, right? Is that what you're saying? Uh, but I, you know, I just, I just wouldn't go because I was, no, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit scared, frankly. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to go there. Uh, in later life, I totally went to those parties. Uh, but I went to those parties with the idea of being, being light and life and, you know, a good, a good friend, a Jesus friend. Jesus uh, went to those parties uh, as well. I mean, as, you know, later in life, uh, I had achieved at least, at least some wisdom. And some fairly reliable self-control. So I I thought I I could walk there and actually be a positive influence rather than getting influence. You know how it goes. Fear, base fear from childhood had matured into wisdom. And that's where we want to go. But if we don't have the fear first, we'll never get the wisdom second. And we should not fool ourselves. We should not be foolish. Following? Moral education has a, uh, a sequence to it, um, so you know i'm i 'm not so flighty as, as i I once was. Uh, that said, I can still freak out in a good way uh, every once in in a while. Uh, some of you close to me uh, know this story from some years back. I was in the church office late at night, and uh, this w- woman came in and We won't go into details, uh, but she ended up disrobing, and uh, I was uncomfortable with that situation, you know. And what what kicked in at that moment was instinct. Now, you might say to yourself, instinct, that might not be a good moment to go with base instincts, but my instinct was different. What I did is I ran. I mean, I literally ran, sort of said, nope, I'm going to dress you, I'm going to get you out, I am out of here, and, and I literally ran to my car, and, and I drove as fast as I could, and met up with some godly friends, and just told them about my evening, and never slowed down until I got there, um, and, and then I sort of made fun of myself afterwards, like, you know, you were acting like a scared 12-year-old when you did that, and I thought, not bad, really. I mean, I could have done worse in, in that situation because I was, it was a time in my life where I was just blisteringly tired, you know, just out of my mind uh, with fatigue and stress, probably in need of some comfort, which is probably why Satan sent along the temptation. You know, I was really vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, you, it, if you have those good instincts, they might just save your life. You know, those Fight or flight, those fear instincts can sometimes be uh, very, very helpful. I'm not a flighty guy at all. No one would accuse me uh, of that. But there was a conditioning in me um, that produced what I think was a decent reaction in a, in a high-pressure movement. Not that I lack vulnerabilities uh, in areas of sexual temptation or laziness or... Uh, not that I lack big vulnerabilities and other areas of self-control. One of my big battles always is to keep control of my temper, of which the book of Proverbs will say much in the chapters that are, are coming. But I'm, I'm so greatly helped by years of pursuing wisdom and, and thinking about it. I'm so glad that fear of evil is in there at least. Uh, it has helped me and I have needed it often. And I recommend it to you based on personal experience. There have been times when I have been screaming mad at God. I don't know if you guys ever get there. You're probably all too holy and righteous. Um, But sometimes, sometimes God just offends me so deeply. I get so frustrated and disappointed. And I have actually told him uh, Lord, I might as well live a sinful life for all the good that righteousness is doing me. But I can't manage to live a sinful life. I never go there. I never follow through. Why? Because I'm scared, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm scared of it. I'm scared of it in a good way, I think. You know? um, even when faith fails me, fear can save me. Does that make sense? I'm not sure I'd push too hard on that theologically. That might not be a truth, but it's a good truism. It's true enough to be really valuable. Even when my faith fails me, my fear can save me. If it's a good, well-trained fear and not one of those fear of uncertainty things or something lame like that. No, a fear of evil. Um, Okay, so now that I've told you uh, what a moral fellow I am, uh, you all have to pray for me because I just know this week Satan's going to lob all of these temptations my way. And so everybody pray. Just take a moment. Five-second prayer. Go. Oh, Lord, don't let Jordan be stupid. Amen. Thank you. Okay. So uh, can I just ask you, in light of all of that, did you ever learn to be afraid of evil? Have you learned that yet? Have you learned to be afraid of evil? I think mostly everybody here probably admires good. And I, and I think that's true of good church-going people like you. But I think that's sort of true about people in the world generally. Goodness is more or less appreciated. Unfortunately, evil is appreciated. Uh, in a way that's, that's not helpful. And so, you know, the, the, the critical question to be asked is, have you ever learned to fear evil? Is that, is that in you, do you think? Does evil just freak you out? I mean, does sin really kind of scare you? I know it tempts you, because I'm pretty sure you're human. Um, but does it scare you? Does it scare you? Is there a countervailing... Fear? Has the prospect of sinning ever frightened you when it pops up in your life? Or uh, have you learned to be morally casual? Uh, Jesus was non judgmental. Although anybody who has studied Jesus' life, I think, would say that. Jesus was non judgmental, uh, but he was not morally casual. He was passionate about avoiding evil in his own life. But he gave a lot of grace to those who didn't avoid evil. See, that's, that's the difference. You, know, you want to fear evil, but totally give grace to people who, who don't or who make stupid choices. That's the Jesus calling. That's the Jesus way. And sometimes what we do is we just sort of substitute a, morally, a moral casualness. We say, oh, we don't want to be judgmental. Therefore, ah, there is no such thing as evil. Or, you know, It's going to be lazy. A little folding of the hands. Boom. You become easy prey. So love people, accept people, apply grace to people. Never judge. Never judge. But fear evil in your life because it will make you stupid. It will make you ineffectual. It will screw things up for you. Are you like, oh, I know I shouldn't. Or are you like, oh, God, get me out of here. Which one are you, when the pressure's on? Um, or are you somewhere in between? <laughs> Which is where I feel like I live a lot of days. you know? I get a little bit, uh, a little bit lazy in my thinking, a little bit stupid because it's comforting. Um, um, if you're in between, um, then I humbly suggest the book of Proverbs to you. Um, I humbly suggest that you read along with us in this sermon series. Go through it. Let it affect you a little bit. Get those truisms into you. Write a few yourself. Get the wisdom engine going in your own life. Um, Accept the instruction of the wise. Accept it. Go get it. Um, Think about how evil deeds are... Snares that pull you to death. Think about that. Set aside 15 minutes. Uh, if there's one thing our society rejects, it's moral education. You know, we Americans have come to despise moral education uh, in our popular culture. Proverbs says, There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. Society says, The most important thing is for people to be empowered to make their own choices. Now, those are not two opposite philosophies. They're not completely diametrically opposed. I am all about free choices. I am Mr. Individualism. I am passionate about creating individuals. But that means that I must also be about moral education so that people can recognize good choices when they see them. And if we never equip people to recognize good versus evil, then all of our empowering of choice is just going to end in craziness and destruction. And I'm afraid that's kind of where we've taken uh, American individualism today. If you don't have a lens for good and evil, then life will always seem blurry to you. You will never quite get it where you should go. A disregard for morality leads to weak-minded people. Uh, People whose common sense gets stunted by simple garden-variety temptations. You know, intelligent people who just go nuts with the slightest bit of fleshly uh, temptation. People who are absolutely helpless when it comes to making wise choices in the face of temptation. Uh, People who can't say no to money or no to status or no to sex or no to licentiousness. And who therefore construct the strangest sort of philosophies or policies to support their strange behaviors and desires. We convince ourselves in our society today that we're moral because we champion certain selective causes. You know, cause celebre, celebrated causes. Uh, to use the, the French phrase, you know, what are celebrated causes today? Well, you know, the environment is a, is a celebrated moral cause. Um, certain individual rights are always uh, celebrated moral causes uh, in America. You know, we have these moral causes, but no one has a moral life. You know, I would, I would digest all the debate in Washington about what to do for the poor, I would digest that debate much better if any of our national leaders had ever taken a houseless person into their private residence and lived the life I mean, wouldn't that make a huge difference you know, if any of our national leaders had actually sacrificed for compassion and morality and not just sought higher office, you know I think that would go down much better, and I think that as a country, we would be much more powerful uh, as a result. Um, and we've come to tolerate uh, this sort of moral nonsense and I don't want to sound judgmental, but you know it's it's not good enough just to have moral slogans or moral causes um, there was uh a couple years ago uh I always always check CNN uh, front page on the website on Sunday morning because very frequently there's something about morality or God and sort of how they get their readership up on on Sunday. And uh, uh, some while back, their their front page, uh, you know, weekly moral story was about the actress Demi Moore. Uh, She was in Cambodia uh, trumpeting awareness against uh, sexual exploitation and sex trafficking and that she was their moral spokesman for the week. And, you know, and God bless her, I know nothing about her and I'm sure she's a wonderful person and my point is not to judge her. I, this, is what, this is what I did know about her. She's the star of the movie Striptease and the movie Indecent Proposal, uh, neither of which I actually saw uh, because I know what the concepts are. In Indecent Proposal, somebody offered her a million dollars to sleep with them one night and the movie is about you know, how she takes the money and and what it does, and it ends up not being so bad. Uh, And then, you know, striptease, figure out what that one's about. Uh, But I I think it involves some dancing and some nudity. Uh, uh, but, But she's against sexual exploitation. Now, fantastic that anyone would make the front page of CNN in Cambodia speaking against sexual exploitation. I think that is a net good, I think that is a positive. But I, I read the article and I remember thinking, you know, there's no, there's no reflection on like Hollywood culture versus, you know, Cambodian exploitation culture. There's no humility. There's no repentance. Um, and it just sort of sucked all of the power out of it for me. That what what that was teaching people is that you can live, you can do anything you want as long as you occasionally say the right thing in front of the cameras and that's become acceptable morality no there's no there's no undergirding moral life right in other words we have a phrase for this we call it being politically correct as long as you're politically correct and that word politically means people group as long as you're correct with the people as long as we all decide that you know it's kind of okay then you can live however and that's wise that's that's wisdom I don't think that's wisdom I think that's moral sloganeering. I do not think that's moral education. And that is a difference that people of Proverbs should probably understand. Jesus commented on this often to the religious leaders of his day. Yes, religious leaders can be terrible at this stuff. To the religious leaders of his day, he said, you are whitewashed tombs. You are coffins that have been painted white on the outside. He said, you are beautiful on the outside, but inside you stink of death. You know, you have a vague appearance of moral authority, but I do not trust you. Um, But what about us here? You know, always turn the camera back on ourselves. Um, The first bit of wisdom we're supposed to learn is to avoid evil as if it were a very, very scary thing. How did that go for us? How has that gone for you? Are you afraid of evil or have you been casual about it in a way that has made you loopy? Um, Jesus taught us to guard against that in our daily prayers. Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're supposed to maintain guard every day. So what do you think? Where are you on that, sca- on that scale? And uh, for those of us who are not doing very well uh, on that scale, what is, what is the, the next step or what are the next steps for us? Uh, number one, uh, not surprisingly, I would suggest repentance. Because as I heard a wise man say recently, repentance leads to revival. See what I did there? Pride goeth before the fall, it says in the book of Proverbs. Repentance means to change your mind, to think in a new way, to approach things differently. And that always leads to revival, which means to live again or to change life. If you want to change your life, You're going to have to change your thinking. And in this case, you're going to have to go back to primary school, and you're going to have to learn the first lesson. There is such a thing as good. There is such a thing as evil. Pursue good. Avoid evil like the plague, because it's way more harmful than the plague. It kills way more people than any germ ever did. Um, So maybe you want to repent today. Maybe you want to spend a few moments with the Lord. Maybe you want to come up to the prayer team here in a few minutes when I I bring them forward and uh, and confess some way in which you have been morally casual. Uh, We confess uh, not because, you know, it's totally necessary to get on God's right side or something like that. We confess, frankly, because it's just a little bit humiliating. And you will feel that and then it will stick with you and it will put some oomph behind the choices that you are making in your head it will help you turn those choices into life choices great discipline uh, if you've never if you've never tried it Uh, one thing we do at all of our holy spirit retreats uh, we take people away from time to time particularly newcomers to the church and we have what we call a Holy Spirit retreat where we study passages in Scripture on, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is God with us in the here and now, the supernatural things that he does. And then we pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon people. And it's awesome. How many people have been to Holy Spirit retreat before? Woo! How many people had their life significantly changed at a Holy Spirit retreat? Yeah. yeah. Uh, more than that, you lazy so-and-sos. A little folding of the hands. Sleep. Uh, no, they're really good. Uh, but... But at every Holy Spirit retreat, we do what we call the circle of filth. We sit around in a circle. We divide up into the, the man's circle and the woman's circle, and we confess sins. All of us says something embarrassing. Uh, and we do that because it makes us feel real and helps us accept the presence of God in our lives. It's a great discipline. So I recommend it to you. Um, if you're thinking about confessing uh, on the prayer line uh, later today and you feel a little bit sweaty about it, that's confirmation from God that you should confess. I actually lied right there. It may be the humidity in the gymnasium, but what I'm saying is don't let your nervousness prevent you from doing something constructive. Amen? Uh, But, you know, it's not just the gesture of repentance or the exercise of, of confession. We want a lifestyle of avoiding evil. And, and I just want to underscore a piece of advice I gave a few minutes ago. Read the book. Read the book. Open your Bible. It's about in the middle. And read the book of Proverbs. Read the instructions of the wise. Read it. Come on. Do your homework. Do your homework. Write some Proverbs. uh, Memorize some Proverbs. um, Go back to basics. Go get it. Go get the wisdom. It will really help. All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I pray, Lord, uh, for... A moral education or a moral re-education as is necessary. I pray, Father, that you would give us the gift of fear in this sense. That we would be afraid of straying from the path. I pray for that that holy fear. The fear of the Lord who sees all. That fear that a child has uh, for a righteous parent. For you are a righteous parent. You are a good father, a wise God who knows best. We accept it. We accept you. In Jesus' name.